0: if you would turn in Scripture to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, we are starting today a relatively brief series, about seven weeks on the Lord's Prayer. Um, why? Why are we going to talk about prayer? The beginning of a new year, why are we going to talk about prayer? Because I really like making you feel guilty, that's why. Of course, that is not the reason. But I really, honestly, want more for you, and I want more for our church, and I want more for Washington, PA, and surrounding areas. I want more and more of God's glory to be seen and experienced by you, by our church, and by this community we live in, and I'm convinced that a primary means to that end is prayer. I don't have to convince you of that. You and I do not have to have the kind of prayer life that we desire. I don't have to convince you. I don't have to say, we're obviously, you're shorting. You, you know that. You feel that all the time. Every one of us laments our prayer life because we know that it can be better than it is. We know that it should be better than it is. We, don't, we wonder why it's not as good as it should be. We have all kinds of issues with prayer. It's one of the most guilt-producing areas of the Christian life. Prayer often feels like going to the dentist or to the doctor or even worse, going to work out. It is. It's something that you you know you're supposed to do, you know you, you need to do it, but boy, you do not want to do it. And if you're like most of us, you just put it off. And you say to yourself, Eh, maybe one of these days. Um, it's the easiest thing to avoid because we can always be too busy. Um, we we ask ourselves, does it really accomplish anything? And then we'll put it off. I'll get around to it tomorrow. I'll get around to it next week. I'll start to pray when the kids grow up. Uh, maybe when the kids leave, I'll begin to pray. I suppose I'll I'll begin to pray when I retire. Well, I'll certainly pray when I'm dead because then I'll see Jesus face to face. We put it off. But deep down we know that if we are not praying regularly and growing in our prayer life, that something is off. And that's right. Something is off. Uh, Not only are we missing out on a primary way in which God has ordained for us to know Him and to have intimate fellowship with Him, but we're also missing out on having the sense that we are being vitally engaged in what God is doing in the world. So to get at this problem and to help us to grow as a congregation in prayer, we're going to slow down. We're going to slow down and consider together the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And we call it the Lord's Prayer. And and of course, many of you know it's not technically his prayer in the sense that he likely would not pray this prayer. There might be aspects of it that he would pray, but there are aspects of this prayer that he would not pray. Uh, The primary aspect that he would not pray is forgive me my sins. but it is the prayer that he taught his disciples. It's the disciples' prayer, the prayer that he gave to his disciples. We have it in two places. We have Matthew chapter 6 here. We'll read that in a moment. But we have Luke chapter 11, uh, verses 2 through 4. These are different occasions where Jesus is teaching them to pray. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, Pray like this. And there he's indicating that it is. It is a guide, it is a framework for our praying, but in Luke chapter 11, he actually says, when you pray, say this, indicating that it's also appropriate to recite it as long as it's coming from the heart uh, with understanding behind it. Let's look here in Matthew chapter 6. I'd like for you to note the text. We are in chapter 6 and We're going to just begin in verse 9, and and just I'll read through the actual prayer itself. Um, Our Father, pray then like this, Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So here we note there's a preface, our Father in heaven, and then it's followed by, and our confession of faith breaks it down, helps us understand, it's followed by six petitions. So you see them there. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our fourth request is give us this day our daily bread. And then we pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And finally, we pray the sixth petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Today, we're going to focus on the preface, but then in the next six weeks, we'll take each of those petitions and unpack them a bit. Now, one final word is that you might note that here at the end of the prayer, in the ESV, we do not have the, con- the conclusion of the prayer that we often recite. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's not in the ESV text because it's likely a later edition in order to liturgically close the prayer. and So it was added later, and uh, that's why we find it in the King James or the New King James Version. Um, It's not in the earliest reliable manuscripts that we find. There's nothing wrong with the phrase. It is a biblical phrase and it's appropriate conclusion to this prayer, especially when we recite it together, but it's not really going to be part of our study. Uh, So I just wanted to to, uh, make you aware of that. Uh, So would you, uh, before we dive into that preface, uh, would you pray with me? Father, we do come asking for your help to understand your word. We pray that You would apply it to our lives, Lord, help us to see what we need to see. Every time we come, Lord, to the reading and preaching of Your Word, we pray that we would hear Your voice. We pray for the powerful work of Your Spirit. And Father, we pray that You would make clear and plain what Your will for us is, that we would know we've heard from You, the God who lives, the God who is our Father, the God who is in heaven. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, How many of you have seen Pikes Peak in person? Been to Colorado Springs, seen Pikes Peak? When I drove out to Colorado Springs, I was reporting to uh, duty uh, out there at Fort Carson, Colorado. I was going to go out and spend three years in Colorado Springs. It's before I was married. I could not wait to get to the Rockies. I'd never seen the Rockies. And I'd heard so much about them. I've heard so much about Pikes Peak. I could not wait to see it. And I've probably shared with you before, you know, you're driving through Kansas, and it's about eight hours of flatness. Now, it's high plains. You don't realize it, but you're starting to climb already. When you get to the western part of Kansas, you know, I'm getting close to Colorado, and I'm thinking, as soon as I cross that line, I'm going to see them. I'm going to see the majestic Rockies. I love mountains. I grew up, grew up in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. Love mountains, and wow, I've never seen these mountains. I can't wait to see them. And we cross. I cross into Colorado, and it's like it looks the same. It's Kansas. I mean, it's another 150 miles before you get to the Front Range. But as you're driving, you're driving, and and you begin to see a bit of an outline. And is that is that. Are those the mountains? Are those the mountains? Yes, they are. Look at Look, there's no cap. And you're just driving and you're driving and then you you come to Colorado Springs and it's this is a huge city. It's grown a lot since I was there in the in the early 90s, but uh but it's I mean it's it's um a sprawling city and then boom, right there is Pike's Peak. I mean, it's right at the base of Pike's Peak. Colorado Springs is about 6,000 uh 6,000 above sea level. And you don't realize that cuz it's flat all the way out there, but you've been climbing. And you're, you're a mile high from sea level. But Pike's Peak is another 8,000 feet right in front of you. It's a 14-footer, a 14 14,000-footer, 14, a 14-er, they called him. And so there it is, and it's, it's dramatic. I mean, it is dramatic, and I could not believe it. And I could not believe I was going to live here and see that thing every day for the three years that I was planning to live and it's great. And so the first week, I'm, because I drive, I drive. I drove towards the mountain as I go to Fort Carson. So every day I drive towards the mountain. There was, I never. I was never lost in Colorado Springs. Always knew where west was. It was. It's just. I saw it every day. It was fantastic. And there are days when, especially in Colorado, 243 days of sun in Colorado Springs. There are days when it's crystal clear and that mountain is not just it's not just there but it is vivid i mean it's like it's it's over top of you it is so vivid and clear but you know what after the first week of living there i became like everyone else who lives there the mountains there so what and it becomes ordinary. It becomes everyday. And, I, and I, it, even, it even gets to the point where you don't even notice it anymore. People travel from all over the world to come to Colorado Springs to see Pikes Peak. They go up on the top of Pikes Peak. And you know, was it Kate Smith sang America the Beautiful, inspired by the view that she had from Pikes Peak? People come from all over the world to see it. And it's mundane. I see it every day. Big deal. I lost the majesty of it and the wonder and the awe of it. The Lord's Prayer is spectacular, (laughs) but we know it so well. How many times do you believe you've recited the Lord's Prayer? Either in worship or some context. And you know, I mean, unbelievers know this prayer. It is so well known. I figure I have probably recited it thousands of times in worship services. It's become familiar. It is ordinary. We say it and recite it, perhaps without thinking and without realizing the earth-shaking implications of this prayer that Jesus taught us. So we're going to slow down. We're going to consider this prayer, and my desire is that you would be stirred to wonder and awe and be reminded of God's purposes and plans. The purposes and plans which He has ordained to be accompanied or accomplished by our praying according to His priorities. And bring us into that. He brings us into that to participate in that grand design what He is doing in the world. Prayer, we will discover, is not simply asking God for the things that we need or the things that we want, but it is also a primary means for, that God has given to us for us to have intimate fellowship with Him. It's a primary means for us to worship Him. It's a primary means that He has ordained to accomplish His sovereign will and His purposes and plans in and for this world. So by this prayer, the Lord begins to reorients our thinking. He reorients our affections. By this prayer, the Lord is helping us answer three fundamental questions. The first question is, who do you take me to be? What am I to you? And what's his answer in this prayer? I am your Father in heaven." And so that being so, he asks a second question, what do you really want? And here he answers by reorienting our own priorities to His. We want His name to be hallowed, we want His kingdom to come, we want His will to be done. You see here he's directing our thoughts and our priorities. And then third, He is asking us, as He reorients our thinking, about what we really need. We need daily bread. We need His provisions for our life. We need pardon from sin. We need protection from our enemies. So We begin today where the prayer begins, with the preface, Our Father in Heaven. I've included in your bulletin uh, the larger catechism, which is very helpful in expounding to us the scriptural teaching concerning uh, the Lord's Prayer. And so there you will see the last question speaks of our Father in heaven and what we are to take away from that. And it breaks it down into three parts, speaking of our Father, or speaking of Father, speaking of um, in heaven, and then speaking of the fact that He is our Father. So those are the three things we're going to look at this morning. And so, who is he to you? Or perhaps to ask it another way, who are you to him? He is your father. Jesus is teaching us that as we approach God in prayer, we are to him as his children, and he is to us as a father. Now, (laughs) this is spectacular. This is not ordinary. This is not mundane. This is huge for you and for me. That we can grasp this notion and we need to grasp it and embrace it and settle in on the reality that the living God, the God who created, the God who sovereignly rules over everything He created, the God who controls everything that He created, He is to you. A father. Do you you feel the ways in which, yeah, I know that. Big deal. That's the attitude that we often have. This is amazing. This is profound. This is majestic and full of splendor. It is unreal. In fact, we need to grasp that. This cannot remain some ordinary and everyday, even ho-hum reality, for it is full of wonder and awe. If you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, because you have trusted that He has died for your sins, and you have rested in His righteousness given to you by faith, then God has adopted you as His child. John chapter 1 and verse 12, To those who believe in His name, it is to them that He gave the right to become the children of God. So that's a, He adopts us as His children, but let us understand that it's more than just adoption. It is not merely legal adoption. How often do adopted children feel inferior to or less loved by and accepted them, by the parents, and accepted them, the natural-born children? But God not only legally adopts us, but He causes us to be born again by His Spirit so that we are His children by spiritual birth. John chapter 1, verse 12, he says, That we have the right to be as children in chapter 1 and verse 13. God declares that the children, He declares that the children of God were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. So when you pray, you're not coming to some powerful impersonal force asking for what you need or for what you want, but you are coming to one who has made you His dear child. You're coming to the prototypical Father. Do you realize that God gave us fathers? And He calls Himself our Father, not to prepare us for our earthly fathers, but He gives us fathers to prepare us for Him because He will eternally and forever be your Father. He is the prototypical Father. He is the standard of fatherhood. He is the one that all fathers are to be like. He is the one who sets the bar for fatherhood. Even the best earthly fathers, some of you have had good fathers, even the best fathers are but pale comparisons or pale reflections at best of what God is. God is all that is good in good earthly fathers and He is none of what is bad in our earthly fathers. Some of you have not had the privilege of having good fathers or kind fathers or caring fathers. The reality is that God is better than even those fathers. He will never abandon us. He is always full of compassion for us. Even when we are and act like prodigals. He will never cease to care for us. <laughs> he is a father that will never die. He will love us enough to teach and discipline us, not out of frustration, not out of anger, but truly for our good. He is full of sympathies for us and all of our infirmities and all of our injuries. He loves us like he loves his own true son, his only begotten Son, Jesus. So, whatever your experience with your father, whether he helped, whether he helped you see and marvel at the good things that a father is intended to be, or whether he showed you many of the ways that a father can be, negligent and abusive and absent, or seemingly uncaring. Whatever your experience, know this. God is the prototype. He is the first one. He is the model. And perhaps you'll need to work to give the title Father a good meaning. Maybe you'll have to work hard at not imposing your own views of your earthly father onto God. But God is better than all of our fathers. He is the ideal perfect father. He's the father that we all yearn for. What fascinates me is that children who have had terrible fathers, their father has left them or abandoned them. Perhaps he died when they were very young. They have this ideal view of what he was like when he was around. They've romanticized what he was. Why? Where does that come from? Because it's implanted within us. We want and desire a Father who plants that in us. Our Heavenly Father. It's part of being human. That's why we yearn for a Father, and He is the Father that we yearn for. No earthly father, no earthly mother for that fact. Even the best fathers and mothers among us are as committed to His children's welfare or as wise and generous in promoting their welfare than our Father who is in heaven. So we come in prayer in intimate fellowship with our God who is also this kind of Father. He is our Father. But note the second thing that we see there. He is our Father in heaven. Well, Let's pause for a minute and think about that. Let's reflect on how splendid and magnificent that is. We ought not think about heaven as, as so much of a place, but rather as a different plane, if you will, a different realm of existence. It's not so much a reference to location or geography uh, or even implanting to this, this idea of distance as it is about speaking of authority and majesty and power. We ought to think of heaven as the realm in which God dwells. But in heaven, the phrase ought to cause us to realize What our children sing, our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There is nothing my God cannot do. That is what we ought to think about when we think about Him being in heaven. He is unlimited. He is everywhere. He's not confined to a place. He has ultimate power and ultimate authority. He, because He is not earthly, He is in no way confined by or constrained by what takes place on earth. He is unaffected by sin. He is unaffected by death. He is unaffected by disasters and by enemies. These in no way will ever hurt Him, in no way will any of these ever hinder Him. He is above all chance; he is above all corruption. He is unaffected by change. <laughs> all of these things we are prisoners to to pause for a moment and gaze at the wonder and awe of this reality. Your father, God is in heaven, or conversely, and perhaps more profoundly. The God of heaven is your Father. j r Packer suggests that this wonder of wonders ought to increase our wonder, our joy, our sense of privilege at being His precious child who at any time has a direct hotline for intimate communication with Him. Now, as I grew, my parents became less impressive to me. I remember a time in which I thought dad was Superman and mom could do anything. But as I grew, they became less impressive to me. They went from being super people, able to do anything, to becoming merely human And then, as I grew, I realized they were seriously flawed to the eventuality. My dad's not quite there, but he's on his way, and we saw it with Sherry's dad, to eventually needing me and my help more than I needed theirs. This is the reality of our human earthly parents. The more I knew them, the more the luster or the shine of them dimmed. But our experience with God is the opposite. The more I know Him, the brighter He shines. The greater He becomes. The more I rely upon and need Him the more I realize I have only begun to scratch the surface of knowing Him, the God who is. And the God who is is a topic of knowledge that is infinite. I will never get to the bottom of knowing God. But the knowledge of Him is inexhaustible. Just scratching the surface as I grow and mature as a believer in Christ. And He, this God of heaven, He's my Father. He is my Father. This is a wonder of wonders. So I come to this God as His precious child. And I'm invited to speak any time to this amazing person. This person who loves me and cares for me cares about me better than I love and care for my own children and I will tell you that's a lot and you as a parent you know that is a lot we are through Christ's life his death and his resurrection we are born of God we believe in the person and work of Jesus we are reconciled to God Our sins are forgiven, and we have the righteousness of Christ. Part of that reconciliation is adoption as born-again children. And as beloved children, we go to our Father who is great, who is awesome, who is all-powerful. We go to Him, and we talk to Him. We make known to Him our desires, our needs. This is where prayer starts. It starts with knowing the one to whom we address in our prayers. And perhaps this is why your prayer life suffers. Your view of God and who He is to you and who you are to Him is less than it should be. The greater God is to you, that is, the more you understand who the God of heaven is and the more you realize what He is to you, your loving and compassionate Father, then the more significant your prayer life will be, the more you will desire and love to converse with the great God who is your Father. There's one final note. This prayer teaches us that we're not single, solitary children. For God is our Father. So whether you're praying alone or praying with others or we're praying corporately in worship, we are united in our hearts by our common Father. And we're united in praying for and sometimes, and I will suggest to you, we, more often than we do, we need to pray together, but we're praying for and sometimes with each other. And as we work our way through the prayer, this prayer, we learn more of what we ought to be praying. So, brother and sister in Christ, in order to grow in your prayer life, you must grasp the reality that the God of the universe The creator and sustainer of all life, the creator and sustainer of everything that we see, everything that we have, everything that we need. He has made you his dear child. And he delights in you speaking to him about your life, about your concerns, about your desires and your needs. And he delights to share with you his desires, his purposes and plans. And he is pleased to use your prayers, the actual accomplishment of his will on earth, not only for you specifically, but also for the advance and spread of his kingdom, the rule and reign of his beloved Son, our Savior and King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father God reigns. And our Father God delights to have intimate fellowship with us through our regular conversation with Him in prayer. Would you pray with me? Father, we come, and we acknowledge we do not marvel enough at the majestic landscape that is in front of us. You, in the glory of who You are, and Lord, you reveal who you are. <laughs> and, we, and we just sort of ho humbly say, yes, God is great. And ho humbly say, Oh, He's mighty, He is powerful, He is infinite. Oh, Father, would you capture our imaginations so that we might see the glory that is you and yours? So that we would know and acknowledge that it is you, that great God who is deigned to be our Father. Lord, You are above us and beyond us, but You have come so near to us. You have put Your Spirit within us, and by Your Spirit, we are Your dear children. So, Father, You are our Father. And that word has meaning. It, It is full of meaning to us. Lord, press these truths in on us, we pray, so that when we do pray, that we come to you, the God of heaven, who is also our Father. Pray your grace upon us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.